0: Good to see you here tonight, church. Doesn't it feel good to be in church? Well, I'm glad that Sally and Amy thinks it's good to be in church. The rest of you are just still laid out. You're like thinking about Drummer Boy. Some of you are thinking about what your favorite Christmas song is, aren't you? That's what you're thinking about. See, got you. It's good to be in church. Good to see you all. Incredible, Steve. Dueling pianos up here. We're going to face you guys off. You and your wife. House united, not divided, though. We are not dividing nothing in Jesus' name. We're uniting. Hey, thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you for, um, for being so uh, willing to allow us into that place. I know that's not easy. And um, I know some of us may not fully understand that moment, but I do, and the Lord surely does. And uh, it's just a beautiful reminder that uh, faithfulness, is the very gateway that leads to purpose and sometimes when it doesn't make sense to be faithful you've remained faithful and when it was easier to throw in the towel and give up and quit you remained faithful and I can say without a shadow of a doubt that it's now you are absolutely without a without question operating and walking in the authority and the very purpose and the very call of God on your life and it's been an honor to stand alongside of you to be a ch- to be a cheerleader, an encourager, a friend, but I'm thankful that you've allowed me in as your brother, and I'm humbled by you, and I'm excited about where God is taking us together, and it was awkward for you to be on my left just then, so can we, of course, correct that next time, uh, please, in Jesus' name, noted. Hey, we're going to um, jump right into tonight, and um, what, shake up the traditions, yeah, there you go. Well, in that case, in that case, let me see your phone. I'm going to get everyone to stand up on your feet, because here's what happens. Whenever I preach, everyone's taking pictures of me. And it's not about me. It's about our church. So we're going to take a family photo of y'all. So if we're going to break up tradition, Jason, in Jesus' name, on the count of three, we're going to say Purpose Church. One, two, three. Purpose Church. Beautiful. Thank you for that. I was I was really hesitant to do that. I can't see any of you in the picture, but I'm sure it looks great. I'll, Cause the lighting's awesome. Katie will correct it. What a good uh, what a good moment. Hey, we're gonna jump right into uh, our message here tonight, and I'm praying that um, I feel a little. Let's just do this. A little off centered. If uh, I were to just sit in the front row and preach it from there, it's gonna break traditions. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John chapter 13, John chapter 13, and uh, if you follow us on social media or Instagram, I jumped on yesterday and just encouraged you to get a head start uh, on tonight and read the entire chapter of John 13. If you didn't do that, that's okay. It's not too late. You can do that throughout this week. Uh, Last week, we uh, discovered uh, in this season of Easter season, for those of us who don't know or are new to uh, Purpose Church, we uh, follow the liturgical calendar, and uh, this is uh, Easter season still, so we're still in Easter. Easter's not just one day, it's an entire season where we get to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus, which is also identified as the Passion, and that is the period of time between His death and resurrection and what we know is Pentecost. And just in case anybody's freaked out by the word Pentecost, it just means 50 days. Just to calm everyone's, you know, weird radar. Just calm it down. It just means 50 days. The 50 days between Jesus' death and resurrection and the day that the Holy Spirit fell and it activated the church to go and make disciples. That's essentially what it, what it means. And so we're in this season of Easter, and we're particularly in a series called We Are. We've been discovering who we are. We've been discovering what our purpose is. We've been discovering uh, the love of the Good Shepherd as we experienced and encountered the last couple weeks. It was so good that I preached it twice, and uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear it or or encounter that message, I pray and ask that you would take a few moments this week to go back and listen to it on any platform you'd like now, because we've got that. This week, uh, we are called to love, and uh, I want to preach to you Uh, Out of John chapter 13, I'm going to specifically start with 31 through 35, and then we're going to kind of just do a quick blitz throughout this whole chapter. So read along with me, if you will, in your Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen. It says this, when he was gone, he being Judas, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. This is verse 31. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the son in himself and will glorify him at once. I know that's a lot. A bit of a tongue twister, kind of have to stop and pause a couple times. I had to do it a couple times. You know, normally I'd say like I read a text a hundred times. I read this like three times, really slowly. But don't get lost there just yet. Continue on with me. Verse 33, it says, My children, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to us even today. I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. However, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Love one another. By this, everyone will know what? They'll know who you are. They'll know who I am. They will know who we are. They will know that we are his disciples. They will know that we are his sheep. If and only if we love one another. Only if and when we love one another. It's really important that we understand what it truly means to love one another the way that Jesus is talking about. I know we live in a world where we take that word and We use it and apply it in so many different contexts. And it's fascinating to me that in this particular moment where Jesus is teaching about this command, he's not saying that they will know who we are by our political party or affiliation. I know we're getting ready to vote on Tuesday, and for whatever uh, reasons you're voting or not voting, that's your prerogative, but this isn't identifying you and I as his disciples by our political stance. It's not identifying who we are by the stance we have on any number of issues. It's not identifying who we are by our allegiance to a sports team or an alma mater. It's not identifying who we are by any other worldly identifier, by our status, by the kind of car we drive, by the neighborhood you live in, by what side of the street you come on, what county you're from. It doesn't say you are a disciple or who you are associated directly with who you are from a worldly point of view, but clearly it is saying you and everyone around you will know who we are by how we love one another. It begs the question then for us to maybe stop and consider, if they don't know us as that, his disciple, how do they know us then? If they don't know us as his disciples by the way we love one another, how do they know us then? Last week we learned just how much the Good Shepherd loves us, that he lays down his life for us, and he's invited us into a loving relationship with him. Today, today, my prayer is that we would be taught this new commandment, to love one another as he has loved us. It's what he says. He says in verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this everyone, not some, not your co-workers, not your wife, not your kids, not the friends from the gym, not your checkout clerk at Publix, but everyone will know Who you are, that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Somebody say, love one another. I know you're kind of thinking, man, he's really driving this point. I am. I'm driving this point. Like a nail and a hammer, just... Because it's important. It's important that we not only hear it, but we understand it and we allow for it to transform our hearts in such a way that the meaning isn't just something that we say, it's actually how we live our life. It becomes an identifier. It's important so that when people think of us, purpose, church, or you who, whoever you are in between, that they would see you and know that you, oh my gosh, must be a disciple of Jesus because you love me so much. I'm trying to teach, not preach tonight. It's important that we understand it, not just hear it. It's important that it brings transformation because the point causes us to consider who do they, our neighbors, our friends, our coworker, know us as? Or another way of saying it, who do they say that you are? We know Jesus asked that questions of his disciples. Who do they say that I am? But who do you say that I am? Well, what if this is now Jesus's way of saying, but who do they say that you are? Who do they say that you are, Aaron, Lincoln, Stephen, Amy? It's just a question for you to consider. I'm not here to point fingers at judge. I'm just offering it up to you for consideration tonight. Let me just preference that this is probably going to go all in. We are loved by the good shepherd, but then he calls us to love one another as he loves us. You see, what precedes this text is a demonstration of the kind of love Jesus is talking about. What precedes this body of text, 31 through 35, is the demonstration of the kind of love that Jesus is teaching us to have for one another. He demonstrates this love throughout the scriptures, but in this chapter alone, he shows us three ways we are to have love as he loved us. So let's back up to John 13 and verse 2. Right at the very beginning. John 13 in verse 2. It says this. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Issecret, Iscariot, to betray Jesus. I always think of like Judas Iscariot like, er, like a little remix. This is my best impersonation of a DJ. That would be an interesting dinner party, though, wouldn't it? The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Can you imagine the tension at that table? Could you imagine how awkward it would be if you were sitting right next to Judas? It's almost like when you're sitting at a table, and you know somebody like, you're like, is that you? Why are you guys looking at each other like that, Brandon and Ashley? got him (laughs) could you imagine the heat that would rise in that moment like like that's a heck of a dinner party let me go on verse three but jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from god and was returning to god verse four so he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The first way in which Jesus demonstrates his love and the kind of love we're to have for one another is that Jesus shows us to love one another by the way we serve one another. By the way we serve one another. I can't think of another way to demonstrate the love we are to have for one another than the demonstration of washing feet. Like, I can't think of a, a, another way of demonstrating the kind of love I have for somebody than by washing their feet. Their feet. I, I, I'm not a feet guy. Like, Jason made us take our shoes off at the gym to do barefooted lifting, which then meant I had to put my feet outside of my shoes, onto the floor in the gym, and then put my gym feet back in my shoes and take them to my house, in my car, in my bag. You know how much Lysol I spread on those suckers when I got home? Jason doesn't even know that part. I don't do feet. And then you want me to take my shoes off in a public place. Jason, how much do you love me? You see, that's what Jesus was demonstrating here. But I can't think of another way to demonstrate the kind of love you have for somebody than to wash their feet. What's interesting, though, is if we could take this a step further to show us how deep his love for us was, he was even willing to wash the feet of his betrayer. And we take a step back in this text and what we see that Jesus says is that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew, as he stated a few chapters earlier in chapter 8, I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you have no idea where I came from and where I am going. In other words, Jesus knew who he was, whose he was, and he knew where he was going, which gave him the kind of confidence to serve in the most selfless and humbling ways. You see, what we discover when we accept the invitation and we receive the promise like we did last week, we begin to learn who we are. We begin to discover whose we are. And we begin to understand where it is that we are going. We are beloved sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father who give an eternal life. You see, to wash the feet of the guests at a feast was the office or the position of a slave. There's actually two types of slave. There was a second-level slave and a first-level slave. The second level was a little higher class. They get to unstrap the sandals of the guest. First-level slave, the lowest class, were the ones responsible for washing the feet. Now, you have to understand, they they did not have cement roads or sidewalks or closed-toed shoes. They had open-toed sandals, much like Amy's wearing up here or Elise is wearing, or Sally's wearing, where dirt and grime and muck and gook from the day all day long can just get all up in there, like all up in there, in every part of your toe, like you could imagine. And it was unpolite for you to come rolling into somebody's house, kick your shoes off, and just find yourself a seat without having your feet washed by said slave. Ugh. A task reserved for the servant, in other words, or the butler of the house in which guests were tended to. It was something done by the lowest class. Man. Yet here we find Jesus confident in who he is, whose he is, and where he is going. Doing what most of us would turn a nose to. I even actually considered demonstrating this, and I couldn't bring myself to doing it. Like, I love y'all with all my heart. But there's other ways for me to lay down my life for you. I do not know, and I don't think you want me to wash your feet, except for some reason a few of you are kicking your shoes off right now. somebody comes in here with a bucket, it's going to be really gross. But this is exactly why Jesus asked, them, asked the disciples in verse 12, Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. And so, isn't Jesus awesome? He's like, he knows what's going on in their head. Do you understand what I have done for you? See, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. However, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed, happy if you do them. Just add a little sidebar for a second. True happiness, for just a moment, is not because we lack things. In other words, things will never bring you true happiness. Maybe, just maybe, it's because we lack love for one another, the kind of love that serves others, as Jesus did, as to why we lack happiness in our life. That's just a sidebar. That's for you to consider on your own terms and talk it over with your spouse or friend or discipleship leader. As I mentioned before, and what I still find so amazing about this text, is that even amidst all the teaching, first, last, servant, master, there is still yet another, a betrayer, an enemy, a backstabber, I got a hard time washing the feet of the people I love. It's a whole nother conversation. We're talking about washing the feet of somebody who's betrayed me. It's interesting, as I was preparing this, there was a few people that came to mind. So then it became even more real for me. And I wonder if it's real for me, if this might even be real for you. yet this is what I love uh, how William Barclay says about this particular moment. Jesus was well aware that he was about to be betrayed. Such knowledge might so easily have turned him to bitterness and hatred. But it made his heart run out in greater love than ever. The astounding thing was that the more men hurt him, the more Jesus loved them. You see, it's so easy and so natural to resent wrong and to grow bitter under insult and injury. But Jesus met the greatest injury and the supreme disloyalty with the greatest humility and the supreme love. Who is it in your sphere of influence that God might be calling you to love by way of serving them? Even if it means serving someone who has betrayed you, offended you, treated you poorly, could it be said that even still you and I chose to love? Could it be said of us that even amidst the hardest of circumstances, instead of running from, we're running to, as Jesus demonstrated? And let me just give you a couple examples of what that looks like. That doesn't necessarily mean you've got to pull up a seat at a table with them. It could help, but maybe you just start with praying for them. Maybe you ask God to reveal who they are in your life so that you can then start praying for them by name. I did this morning. I started praying for those names that God revealed to me as I was preparing this moment by name. Boy, let me tell you how hard that was. I get it. I know what this is like, but this is the kind of love that, God, that he's teaching us. This is the kind of love he's calling us to have. This is who he's calling us to be so that we could let everyone know who we are. That everyone around us would know who we are, his disciples, by the way we serve one another. That's the, that's the first demonstration that Jesus shows us. Let me show you the second one. Let's move to verse 26. Jesus answered It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Jesus is referring to his betrayer. He says to the disciples he says one of you amongst me will betray me. And the disciples start to squabble and squander and start talking in circles. Jesus who is it? Which one of us? One of them leans over to John the Baptist, and this is where John, or not John the Baptist, excuse me, but the, the, the John that wrote this book, he, he always refers to himself in third person. He's like the one that Jesus loves was just lounging on his chest. And they're like, well, you're the closest to him, John. You should ask him who's going to betray us then because you're just hanging out over there laying down on his shoulder. And Jesus answered him, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. The second way Jesus demonstrates his love one to another is Jesus shows his love by the way he gave one to another. You see, the second act of love was demonstrated around communion. We just partook of it. His love was so deep, he gave even his betrayer a seat at the table. Bread that was symbolic of his body being broken for all of humanity. Dipped in wine that was to represent his blood that was shed or spilled out for him. Could you imagine, in a moment, In that moment, Jesus states, one of you will betray me. Sitting at a table with 12 of your friends, all of a sudden you're looking around like, which one of you backstabbing thieves? Or how could any one of us betray Jesus? Could you imagine being in that moment? And it was, I just kind of like thought for a second, Jesus takes the bread and he dips it and he just kind of like swirling it around a little bit just letting them marinate on the thought that one of them is going to betray Jesus. He's just marinating, it gets hotter. It's getting Table all of a sudden, sweat beads are just rolling, and it's getting tense. Jesus pulls it up, and starts looking around the table. It's like musical communion. <laughs> Not really. It wasn't. Jesus states that one of you will betray me the one in whom I give this piece of bread to, the one who will sell me out for a bag of coins. And as Jesus turns to Judas, I can imagine that Judas in that moment, the sweat beads rolling down his head, the nausea that would come with such a moment, the feeling of shame and guilt and fear flooding his heart. You know, but as I read that, and I was thinking about the way Jesus demonstrates his love for one to another by the way he gives, it brought me back to, John three and sixteen and I thought I thought it this way. I considered that in this moment, what Jesus was really saying to Judas as he handed him the bread. For God, my Father, so loved you, that He gave Me, His only Son, to be a living sacrifice, for you, Judas, even still. I mean, Judas was there when Jesus taught that very text and. He had said, time and time again, I came to lay my life down for everyone. And, and in that moment, you're thinking, well, this is Jesus' opportunity. But instead, he hands him the bread. And I imagine there was this exchange where there was a reminder that my father, Judas, he, he gave me for this purpose. He loved you so much. His love was so deep that he gave me his only son to be a living sacrifice for you, even still, even though you are going to betray me. In other words, Jesus is saying at this moment, I'm not going to be killed. I'm choosing to die for you. And this bread, this wine, is symbolic of my purpose. Because the greatest glory in life is the glory that comes from sacrifice. The greatest glory in life is the glory that comes from sacrifice. It's what he really identified in 1 John 3 and 16, not to be mistaken for John three sixteen. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Who, who was it? Ananias, babe, that met Saul? I love that you said that. Welcome, brother. He didn't know what he was getting himself into. He could have easily been laying down his life for the cost. He had no idea what was on the other side of that door where that guy was coming with a gang, an army, a militia of people to take out every one of his family members. He just heard from the Lord. He had to trust that the Lord had a purpose and a plan for his life. And he had to be willing to lay down his life if that's what it called for him to do, to open the door and welcome him into his home. And then be the conduit in which the scales on his eyes would come off so he could see. Jesus demonstrates his glory through the ultimate sacrifice. We demonstrate his glory by the way we serve and give to each other. Then they will know we are his disciples. Let us not be a church where people giving begrudgingly, but let us give willingly wholeheartedly like Jesus who gave up his life for us so that we might receive the life, the purpose, the gifts, the blessings, the miracles, the healings that are offered to us through Jesus' death and resurrection. Let everyone know we are his disciples by the way we give to one another. The third way that Jesus demonstrates in the last one in this text Verse 27 and also 31, it says this. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. We jump up to verse 31. It says, when he was gone, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. The third way that we see how Jesus demonstrates his love is by the way he speaks to and of one another, even his betrayer. T.R. Glover says it's always true that there is no one closer to men than the man who is close to God. I believe that the closer we get to God, the more our speech becomes like him. This is what Jesus demonstrates, and you might read this text and say, well, he didn't say anything about Judas at all. But that's exactly the point. He told him to do what he had to do, but do it quickly. And then instead of going on a slander bender... He says nothing about Judas, but rather puts the focus back on his purpose and his father's glory. Now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. Eugene Patterson says it this way in verse 31 and 32. When he had left, he being Judas, Jesus said, Now the son of man is seen for who he is and God seen for who he is in him. The moment God is seen in him, God's glory will be on full display. In glorifying him, he himself is glorified. Glory, all around. Proverbs eighteen and twenty-one says the tongue has the power of life and death. In other words, in other words, our words have the power of life and death, which also means sometimes not saying anything at all is the best course of action. In any present moment. I mean, that's what Thumper said in Bambi, right? If you can't say nothing nice, don't say anything at all. Thumper. You see, Jesus chose to glorify his father even when he had every right to slander his betrayer. I mean, let's just be really honest for a moment. Are we an honest church? You can pull up any news outlet, any social media platform, and I promise you one out of 10 posts is gonna be a slander bender on somebody for some reason, for some purpose. Heck, you might even flip those numbers, nine out of 10. (laughs) At this point, everyone's looking for a fight to pick, a name to call, and a stone to throw. What would happen? What would happen if instead of throwing stones, slandering our neighbors, Actually love them the way in which Jesus demonstrates for us to love. Let everyone know we are his disciples by the way we speak to and about one another. I mean, that's what Jesus was demonstrating. That's what led to this moment. John chapter 13, let's bring it back to the very end. Verse 34 and 35. Eugene Patterson says it this way. Let me give you a new command love one another in the same way I loved you you love one another this is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other we are to love like Jesus loved we are known as his disciples by the way we serve by the way we give by the way we speak to one another as Jesus showed us and teaches us. Let's ensure our community knows who we are. We're His disciples by the way we love one another. Can I ask you to stand with me tonight, Purpose Church? As I was preparing this message, I, I just felt like the Lord impressed upon me that these are not just statements of knowledge or information, but truly they are statements that identify who we are as a church and who it is that our Father in Heaven is calling us to be in such a time as this. That we are a people, that we are a church, that we are a community that is known as disciples because they see the love that we have for one another or the way we serve one another. By the way, we give to one another. And by the way, we speak of one another. But I recognize that even as we are declaring and learning how to be better followers of Jesus, and we're practicing the patterns of Scripture that we read, there are some of us even still that are so far off that we don't even know the love of the Father. We've never even experienced it. As a matter of fact, we might have thought we were close, but we were abused We were taken advantage of. We had an improper taste of what heaven was really supposed to be like and for that reason we're standing here tonight a little guarded, a little jaded, a little reserved, a little hesitant, even a little judgmental. I wondered if tonight maybe that this message was the very thing that opened and softened the callous around your heart and it prepared an opportunity for you to experience the forgiveness and the love that the Father extends and if I could I wanted to close with this it's a statement and a quote from William Barclay and if you want to know who he is he's just a theologian that I just happen to follow and I love I've learned a lot from it says this Jesus loved his disciples forgivingly after all their leader was to deny him They were all to forsake him in his hour of need. They never in the days of his flesh really understood him. They were blind and insensitive, slow to learn, and lacking in understanding. In the end, they were craven cowards. But Jesus held nothing against them. There was no failure which he could not forgive. The love which... Has not learned to forgive, cannot do anything else but shrivel and die. We are poor creatures, and there is a kind of fate in things which makes us hurt most of all those who love us best. For that very reason, all enduring love must be built on forgiveness. For without forgiveness, it is bound to die. All enduring love must be built on forgiveness. You see, what I find so fascinating is that we call out Judas as the greatest betrayer, but yet the disciples were just as guilty as Judas, denying him, forsaking him, doubting him, often struggling with understanding just how much Jesus loved them and us, yet Jesus held nothing back from them. And friend, could I just enlighten you as well? He's holding nothing back from you. Rather, He's offering and extending forgiveness to you. So could I ask everyone just to close your eyes? Is there anyone here tonight that needs forgiveness of something? Forgiveness of a sin, forgiveness of a wrong way of thinking, forgiveness of... Of slandering somebody, forgiveness of treating somebody improperly. Maybe forgiveness of the sins that you've committed that you just don't think you're worthy of forgiveness of. Maybe it's the forgiveness of doubting that He actually does love you this much and He wants to have a relationship with you and He wants you to discover the purpose that He has for you. It's full of hope and full of life and full of joy. I don't know where you are but i'm praying that in this moment god is softening your heart he's opening the door for you to experience and receive forgiveness enduring love that's built on forgiveness if that's you tonight every eye closed would you just lift your hands to heaven and say that's me lord i've got, I've got bitterness in my heart i've got anger I've been, I've been speaking of some people at work or i've been treating some people in and around my life i've been man I've been a little bit irritable at home lately I'm not demonstrating I'm not known as your disciple right now because I'm not loving the way you've called us to love that's you heck I know that's me but even more so if there's some of us here that just have never received the forgiveness the love of Jesus that's some courage too say that's me this isn't to embarrass anybody but just right where you are just lift your hands in heaven say that's me I want to be known as his disciple by the way I love one another. Or I want to receive the forgiveness that comes through the death and the resurrection of Jesus so that I could live a life of purpose and meaning. If that's you tonight, just lift your hands. Father, I pray that you forgive us. Forgive us of our trespasses. And help us to forgive those who've trespassed against us. In other words, forgive us of all the wrong we've done and help us to forgive all the wrong that others have done to us. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us today, in this moment, the very word that we need, the very healing touch that we need, the very sense of forgiveness that we've longed for, the sense of purpose and belonging that we've been crying out for. I pray you give it to us, Father. You know what we need in this moment and I pray that you'd give it to us so that we'd experience your incredible power, your majesty, your love like never before. For those of us who are lost and far off, I pray that we experience the the never-ending love of a father who is willing to sacrifice his son so that we can have a life and a life more abundantly. For the rest of us, I pray that those of us who are struggling to see ourselves as disciples. Father, you'd reveal in us the areas in our life, maybe the people we've done wrong to, the people we've had a bad attitude towards, or we've been ill against. Heal us, Father. Forgive us of all the wrong thinking for all those negative things we said, and give us the courage and the strength to speak well of them, to give of ourselves, and to serve them the way that you've served us, given for us, and spoken of us. Help us to love as you've called us to love. That they would know we are your disciples by the way we love one another. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. we